0: Well, let's look to Philippians chapter 4 as we um, get close to the end of the book here. Uh, we, we come today to probably one of the most popular sections. Uh, if if you have memorized a verse, if you've uh, uh, been through Awana or maybe you've taught Awana and been involved, um, the verses we're going to look at today are, are, I think, some of the most familiar verses to most Christians um, as we think about uh, worry and anxiety. Um, Anxiety has become somewhat of an epidemic in our country and even in our world. Um, You may not know this, but let me just give you some statistics. Uh, Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. Um, These statistics are a few years old, but uh, 40 million people, which is 18% of the adult population in America... Uh, are said to have uh, an anxiety disorder of one form or another. <clears throat> um, those disorders, as people are treated for them, cost over $46 billion annually. So p- between therapies and prescriptions and doctors and counselors, uh, $46 billion to help those uh, 40 million people with anxiety disorders. So you say, um, what are Americans so anxious about? Isn't this ironic that the most prosperous nation in the world, we of all people should have the least reason to be anxious and worry, right? I mean, you go to some third world countries and and they cope much better than most Americans do. I think that's kind of ironic. But a survey they did a few years ago, what are Americans anxious about? Well, 48% are anxious over their finances, even though we're the richest nation in the world. 34% are anxious about their health issues, uh, this was done before all the health care laws changed, so we probably could add a category there, I bet, if we were to do the survey today. Uh, 32% worry about employment issues and uh, what the future holds in terms of their ability to, to hold and keep a job. How do Americans typically cope with stress? Well, 82% watch TV, read, or listen to music. 71% talk to family or friends. 62% pray or meditate, meditate. and, of course, we need to remember what that means in America, exercise, 37% eat, leading to more anxiety, 26% smoke, drink, or do drugs, 12% take prescription drugs to cope with their stress. And speaking of prescription drugs, in Canada, psychological drugs are the second most prescribed drugs next to cardiac medications. And, um, again, these are a few years old. I I did some research recently for um, a talk I did in our fall conference on psychotropic drugs and um, psychotropic drugs, you know, it's a it's a broad category. But if you lump them all together, they have become the largest prescribed uh, uh, class of prescription medications in America. Um, the most popular psychological drug used to treat anxiety is the ninth most prescribed drug in America. Now that's amazing if you think about it, because you're talking about people on blood pressure medications, you're talking about all the The drugs people use that have heart conditions or other ailments, all of those people, and and the anxiety agent, I think it's Xanax, is the drug that they refer to here, is the ninth most prescribed drug. Uh, ninth most, I'm sorry, the, the ninth most prescribed drug in America. 34 million prescriptions in 2005. That's amazing. Another drug used to drink anxiety ranks the sixth most common drug by sales volume. So $3 billion in sales in 2004 uh, just for that. Just a footnote on that, too. Um, do you know what one of the most abused prescription drugs is? It's Xanax, the anxiety drug. So you've got this drug that's being prescribed in in, in huge proportions, and, and then, you know, you've got kids at Granbury High School that are selling it to their friends so they can get high. So what do you do about it? This is interesting as I, as I studied for all this. What do you do about this epidemic of stress, right? Yes, you can watch TV and you can eat and you can go shopping. and, But, but what do you need to do? Well, well, they have an organization that solves this problem. You, you, you know, America has all these organizations. There's an organization to solve this problem. Here's what you do you have a National Stress Out Week. That's what you do. Did, did you know that November 12th through 18th is National Stress Out Week? I mean, we just missed it by a few weeks, didn't we? Okay? Uh, national Stress Out Week, uh, you, you can um, you can write to the, ang- the uh, Anxiety Disorders Association of America and get a free house party kit so you can host your own National Stress Out Week party. And what you do is you... Um, it, they're on this five thing. I think they have OCD because they have this thing with fives. You take five deep breaths. You visit five loved ones. You do five acts of kindness. and Or you can throw a stress-out-free party. And like I said, uh, you can uh, write with two box tops and get your own party kit there. Time magazine, uh, back in 2002, uh, ran a fascinating uh, con- uh, article on how the brain... Uh, deals with anxiety and stress, okay? So this whole cover story, pull all the research together, what does the brain do, how do people cope? Uh, And and you know what their conclusion was? We don't really know what to do about it. And thankfully, um, the Bible tells us uh, exactly what to do about it. Not only do we have a guidebook for what to do with stress and worry and anxiety, but we have a God in the midst of our stress and worry and anxiety. So we're going to talk about worry and anxiety today, and um, I I know none of you deal with that. I certainly don't. Uh, But this is going to be one of those places in Scripture where God wants to get in our kitchen a little bit because um, worry is a sin, and yet it is probably one of the most tolerated sins Amongst Christians today, um, what, what is worry? Worry is is a sin of continually dwelling on and a and preoccupa- a preoccupation with some fear, usually associated with the future. Okay, so so worry is this this focusing on and preoccupation with some fear, so some bad thing that. Either I don't want to happen or maybe something that has happened, and now I'm wondering what's going to come of it. And often that fear is associated with something in the future. Uh, And you understand that there's a difference between sinful worry and concern. I mean, the Bible would commend being concerned, caring for one another. If we look at those little one-another commands in the New Testament, um, all of those imply concern for one another, right? You know, if we're going to love one another, be kind to one another, serve one another, bear with one another, all of those imply that we care about people and that we love people. So we're not talking here about appropriate concern, care, and consideration. Um, we're talking about sinful worry and sinful fear. Um, and we're going to hopefully dissect that a little bit and see um, what we can do about it. Um, And worry is a very dangerous thing. Uh, Believe it or not, worry can make you sick. Um, Years ago, scientists linked ulcers with stress and worry. And then you'll remember that they isolated that bacteria. And they said, no, 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 that little bacteria in your gut is what actually causes ulcers. It's not the stress in your life. Well, then... A study published in Psychosomatic Medicine back in 2002 by Renee Goodwin of Columbia University and Murray Stein of UC San Diego reestablished the link between anxiety and peptic ulcers. It's also been linked to things like gastrointestinal problems, chronic headaches, vision problems, eating problems, sleeping problems. Uh, So worry quite literally can be hazardous to your health. So what do we do about it? Well, let's look at Philippians chapter 4 uh, and see what the Apostle Paul, writing as he is inspired, his words, his thoughts are inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, for his message to us. Uh, the section that we are in t- today begins in verse 4, so let me just read the section and then we'll, we'll take it apart. Verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. Uh, We titled our study in Philippians, uh, what? The Epistle of Joy. Because we see the the commendation of joy, the the call to joy. We see the Apostle Paul illustrating joy in his own life and ministry. And we see here again, Paul's not over it yet. He says again, we should rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, what what has he just finished discussing? He's just finished discussing the fact that there are some people that have sort of left Christianity have been deceived by the world, and now they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and he's heartbroken over these things. And then as he t- picks up uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, he talks about these two ladies that can't get along in the fellowship and the fact that they were involved in gospel ministry, and now something has come between them, and, and uh, they're out of fellowship. They're arguing. They're having conflict with each other. But the burdens of ministry don't ultimately so weigh down the Apostle Paul that he loses his joy, that he loses that, that sense of delight before the Lord, of a confidence before the Lord, that it's okay. It's okay. And um, I don't know if you do this. Have you ever read a verse like this when you're going through a trial in your life or a hardship in your life? and you think, I can't possibly do that. Or if I did, I would be some sort of hypocritical, stoic Christian, just sort of going through the motions to to put a good smile on my face when in reality my heart is breaking. You ever feel like that when you read verses like this? And so I think it's very important that we we don't disconnect this command to rejoice in the Lord. We don't disconnect that from what follows. Because if we take rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice, and we pull it out of context, we put it on a t-shirt, we put it on a coffee mug, and we say, see, Christians should be happy all the time. If we do that, we we create a sort of fake Christianity that says we just put on our game face. And we all know real life isn't like that, is it? Real life is not you just put on a happy face and go on your way. Real joy in the midst of hardship involves significant spiritual work going on in your heart. It's possible, but it's not as simple as just saying rejoice in the Lord. There's more to it than that. Would you agree with me on that? If we're going to know genuine joy and genuine delight, even in the midst of great suffering and hardship, and, and good night, the apostle Paul had a dozen reasons to be discouraged. We can't isolate this command from what follows. He says, secondly, let your, your forbearing spirit be known to all men. What is a forbearing spirit? Gracious spirit, Mine says gentle. gentle spirit okay we, we we've come across one of those words that has um well it's got lots of facets to it it's got lots of sides to it but but the the essence of of what it is here is is a an ability to keep on going you're forbearing you're, you're continuing on. Um, and certainly gentleness is involved, that's true, and, and kind, we could say that. But, but Paul is saying we, we must keep going in the midst of this. We must keep pursuing ministry. We must keep moving forward as a church. And he said let, let that spirit, that forbearing spirit, and, and in, in the immediate context, what's he really talking about? Forbearing in the midst of what? Well, what's the immediate thing he has in mind? These two ladies, they can't get along. Have you, you ever tried to do that? You, <laughs> you got, you, there's somebody you're trying to help, and they're, they're not seeing eye to eye with someone else or some problem. And, and you you take Saturday afternoon off to, to away from your family or whatever you're going to do to spend time here, and they don't get it. And you try, and they don't get it. You try to help them see the log in their own eye and they want to go speck fishing with the other person, right? You know, you you try to help them humble themselves and they're just resolved in defending themselves. And Paul says in the midst of that, Philippian church, you let your forbearing spirit be known to all. You endure. You don't give up. You be patient. You keep on going. Because if if we we all learn this, we're, we're all grown up Christians here, right? This is hard. What we are doing is hard. Walking with God is hard. Being a church is hard. Working out conflict and difficulty and disagreements is hard. And and one of the things that can happen in conflict with a person, in in a difficult situation, in hardship, really all the things we've talked about in Philippians, one of the ways that people deal with that is they turn inward. They turn inward and they begin to dwell on and dwell on and dwell on these fears of what is happening or what might happen in their situation. And the Bible has a term for that. It's called anxiety. It's called worry. And that introduces for us these famous verses. Look at verse 6. Be anxious. For nothing. Now let's just stop right there. Just stop there. Don't go on. Uh, we have a translation problem here because being anxious for nothing in English so, sounds woefully too passive. It's way too passive. It, 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 it's a command, but it doesn't sound like a command. Uh, in the Greek text if you were to look at this in the Greek text, it, it says literally nothing you worry. That's what it says. And by um I was trying to explain this to my kids the other day, and I don't know how it even came up, but um if if you're reading the newspaper and the writer of the of the article you're reading wants to emphasize something, he might boldface the typeset, right? Or it might be the headline under the picture. You know, that's the point. That's the, the issue of emphasis. Well, in Greek, the way you emphasize things is you start changing the word order. I know that sounds goofy. Uh, it ends up sounding like Yoda talk almost. But um, in Greek, that actually makes sense. And by, by moving the word nothing to the beginning of the sentence, what Paul is saying is, don't worry about anything. It's actually stronger than that. He says, you know what? Stop worrying. You need to stop worrying. You stop. Don't do it. Don't worry about anything. And if we're going to obey this command, because it is a command, it's a strong command, to be anxious for nothing, um, we need to start, I think, by being very painfully honest with ourselves. Don't we? Because here's what we'll do. We'll say... um, I'm not worried, I'm just stressed out today. Right. I'm not worrying, I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, I, I'm not worried, um, it's just the way I am. I'm, I'm just a worry wart. You know, you heard that before? And of course, in, in today's uh, therapeutic culture, anxiety is an illness or a sickness. And, and certainly there are physiological things that go on in the experience of anxiety. Um, but the but the Bible says the root of all that, even though there may be physiology that flows out of it, the root of that is a spiritual problem. And if we're going to stop worrying, we need to start just by being painfully honest with ourselves and saying, I have to admit that I do this sometimes. And furthermore, it, for for some of us, we have to admit that this is our normal operating system. I mean, there are people that worry all the time. They are professional worriers. And you say, well, that's that's pretty harsh, Keith, because everybody worries, and and you know, why, why do we, why does the Bible have to beat us up with something that we already know is a problem? Because if you don't see it as a sin, you won't turn to a savior to help you. That's why. We we must see it as a sin. We must see it as something that Jesus said. Well, Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not worry about your life. So if we do something that Jesus says not to do, right, that's called sin. And the Bible calls us here to put off worry. If we're going to do that, if we're going to get rid of worry, we really have to get to the heart of it. And uh, that's why, in, in the definition, I, I want you to see that that what drives worry is fear. Fear. In fact, um, uh, if you haven't done this, if you haven't listened to this, uh, Dr. Stephen Yule, who is the pastor at, at uh, Grace Community Church in Glenrose and uh, teaches at our conference in the fall, he does a talk. I think it's in weekend three, called "Overcoming Anxious Fear." And you you need to download the audio from the website or, or ask for a CD if if you'd like that. Uh, very helpful because he, he did a really good job connecting those two. That that worry is really driven by fear. And, and you know probably what what is the most common fear that drives worry? You know what it is? I'm not in control. If you find somebody who regularly struggles with worry, mark it. You will find somebody who struggles with control. Now, the Bible—there's a plant there. Excuse me. Um, The the Bible does not talk about control the way we talk about. We say that person has control issues. You know that that person needs to let go and. The Bible has a different word for control. It doesn't use the word control, but the Bible certainly describes the experience of people that say, I just want to kind of run everything, and, and here's how it works. I'm okay as long as I can kind of keep everything in order, right? I, if I have a sense that I'm in control of my life, I'm okay. I have peace. I'm, I'm happy. I'm contentment. And you know this, because people that are like this, when they get in situations where they can't control it, they're very difficult people to be around, right? Right? So, so I'm just kind of, you know, manage the thing. I can manage. I can control the situation. And when they're like that, they have peace. They have joy. They have contentment. Everything is great. Their biggest fear is being out of control. Now, the Bible has a word for control. What is it? Say it louder. Pride. Do you see that? Why Why is desiring to... And I'm not saying... You understand... Control is not like being responsible for yourself, because obviously the Bible commends being responsible, being disciplined, being obedient, being righteous and upright, being a person of integrity, okay? That's that's responsibility. We're not talking about that. We're We're talking about people are trying to control things that God has not asked them to control. Or they're trying to control things that God says, excuse me, that's my job right and that's why it's pride because because what control is at its heart is saying i don't want you to run the universe i want to run it right now we don't typically think of it like that but that's that's really what it is and it could be something as simple as um cleanliness neatness health a personal relationship um a certain amount of money in the bank, a certain status before your friends. It could be the way you look. It could be what you wear. Uh, This this manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. And, and, And God loves us enough. You know how much God loves us? He loves us enough to remind us regularly that we're not God. He loves us enough to remind us regularly that we don't uphold the universe by the word of our power the way Jesus does. He loves us enough to remind us by bringing about situations, bringing about circumstances, bringing about people that put us in situations where we go, ah, and and, and the wrench goes into the gears and we realize we really don't have control. That's an illusion. We really don't. And God doesn't do that to frustrate us. He does that because he loves us. Because, because, what does James say? James chapter 4? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on, on the side of the team that God is opposed to. Do you? And he loves us enough to frustrate those situ or to to, to, to can we call it a holy frustration. He loves us enough to bring about circumstances where we have to conclude you know what i i 'm really not in control of this thing, and that scares the fire out of some people because they lust after it so much so if we 're going to repent of worry we really need to get to the bottom of it. What is it that we fear that because if you're you know your mind 's going you know five hundred and twenty eight miles an hour. It's like, what's driving that? What am I so afraid of? What what do I don't want? What do I? And it it could be lots of things. What, What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of failure? That could be one. Public embarrassment, having rebellious kids, not being in control, being fat or overweight, not having any friends, not having enough money, losing a loved one, a stock market crash. What do we fear? And when we do, the Bible says here we need to get rid of it. It's a command. We need to stop doing that. Put it off, and you understand that, that that to put off sinful worry, what we have to do is to say, "I have to repent of whatever this thing is that I fear so much that I'm that that I'm not getting in that situation." So we confess, um, and and if if pride is is sort of the fundamental sin behind all of this what what's the what's the subtle sort of theological truth that goes with that if i'm seeking to control my life what am i not doing trusting god you remember Jesus? We don't have time to look look at it, but in Matthew chapter six, when he says, you know, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you would drink, what you would wear, you know, is not the body more than food, or is, is not the body more than clothes and and more than food? And, and you know, look at the birds of the air, you know, they don't work, but you know, they're God provides for them. And even Solomon, all his glory, wasn't as glorious as the lilies of the field. Remember, he, remember, he goes through that whole thing. And, and Jesus is so kind in, in that text because he could have just said, you guys just need to repent. You know, I mean, come on. Everybody knows you're not in control. Let's just let's just get over it and move on. But but he doesn't. He's very subtle. He's very gracious. He goes on this big excursus, saying, you know, "Look at the birds. Look at the flowers." And, and then he 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 puts his finger on the issue at the very end of the section. Do you remember what he says? So why do you worry about these things, O you of little? Because at its core, worry is a trust issue. I'm not trusting God. I'm not, I'm not submitting to his control. I mean, I mean, okay, you've got a wonderful, good, heavenly father who loved you enough to send his son to die in your place. Aren't you happy he's at the helm of the universe? I mean, do you really, you really see what a wonderful thing that that is? and how peace is not pursued by trying to control everything. Peace is pursued by submitting to the God that does control everything and trusting Him because we know that He's trustworthy. Worry is a sin because at its core we're not trusting God or fearing His name and instead we're trusting in ourselves and fearing something other than God. So we need to confess it. Stop worrying. Number two, we need to start praying. Uh, every issue of life, if we're going to change, has a put off and a put on. I, I hope I'm like I'm like a, a broken record. That, that's a painfully old analogy. That uh, a skipping CD. Uh, a, okay. Every every issue of life, if you're going to change, there's something you have to stop doing, but there's also something right that you need to replace it with. A put off and a put on, and and even. Um, I'll give you a hint about my sermon, okay? If you are paying attention to the outline, you will see, put off, put on, and renew your mind in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 this morning, okay? I'm not going to talk about it because that's not really the point, but just just be paying attention. You, you guys will see that, okay? So if we're going to put off worrying, what do we do? Because if you just, I'm going to stop worrying about my bank account. What is my bank statement? Uh, what do you do, right? You've got to replace it with something. And what you replace worry with, according to this verse, is prayer. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, so nothing, don't worry, right? That's what it says. Nothing, don't worry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and this is interesting, because the apostle paul doesn 't just say, um, you, "You guys need to stop worrying and you need to start praying i mean th- this is not you know you know be happy, Jesus loves you or, or you know just you know don 't worry, just pray i mean it, it's not some, some, um, it's not. this is not something we put on a bumper sticker. this is not something trite and just sort of surface level where we say ah oh, don't don't worry, man, just pray, you know again, this is hard work. And you know this, because when you're in the midst of the spiral of worry, it feels like you can't stop, doesn't it? And so the Apostle Paul does something that that I hope you caught. Just in reading this verse, I hope you caught this. He says, in everything, now watch this, by prayer, that's one, with supplication, that's two, with thanksgiving, that's three, Present your requests to God. So so if you want to look at it like this, he says in four different ways, you need to pray. Pray about everything. Make supplication about everything. Be thankful. See, that, that thanksgiving is not, you know, I'm just... Like, like last month, you know, when, when you turn on the TV and they've got these actors, well, I'm thankful for this. It's like, there's no, there's no person that they're thankful to. They're, they're thankful to the wind. Okay? Thankfulness for a Christian has an object. We are thankful to God because He is the giver of all good things. In the context of worry, we are thankful to God because He's good and He runs the universe and He knows what He's doing and is all wise and He's working all things for our good and His glory. So thankfulness is not some, oh yeah, I'm just going to be thankful. It's I'm thankful to God for who He is and what He's doing in my life. So he says in four different ways, you need to stop worrying and start praying. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. It's as as if the Apostle Paul asked the question, how do you deal with worry? His answer, pray, 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 pray. Every time you're tempted to worry, pray. In fact, I... I have long thought, and, and the, the Palmers are notorious warriors now, just some family history there um, I've often thought that sanctified by God, the most the most enslaved warrior can be the most amazing prayer warrior. If you do what this says, because people that worry tend to be the type of people that are concerned and care about other people. And that's good. Right. And if you will replace the sinful way of dealing with that by controlling and fearing worrying, and if you replace it with the biblical Christian thing, which is to trust God and pray, think about that prayer ministry. Think about what your prayer life might be like. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. We cast them all on Christ. We pray. We give them to Him. Now, now, look back at the text. How many of my anxieties and worries and fears am I supposed to pray about? How many am I supposed to give to Jesus? Really? I can't even worry about a little thing? You know... Worry is like so many other sins. When you tolerate a small thing, you will find yourself snowballing into worrying and, and, and participating in sin in very large things because, because you're always training yourself. You understand that? We are always training ourselves in terms of how, how do we deal with all of this. And if we're we're tolerating even little amounts of worry, we're training ourselves. then in the moment of stress, I turn inward, and I think that this this mental process that I go through is somehow going to help. No, it's not going to help. It's going to give you an ulcer. That's what it's going to do. But what if you actually pray? That's one of the amazing things. All worry is going to do is make you sick. And does worry actually do anything to help the situation? Does it do anything to actually help the situation? Does it do anything to actually help the situation? So why do we do it? Because we crave control. We love the thought of being autonomous and independent and in control. We know better. So we want to repent of every part of worry. Prayer is the only activity that will conquer worry. Because, ironically, this is interesting, and I don't want to get off on this because it's not the point. Ironically, most therapies designed to help people with anxiety, you know what those therapies focus on? Helping the person be in control. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to shoot the other foot with a gun, right? I'm going to... Kick why I'm down. Kick myself why I'm down. Most techniques on dealing with anxiety from a behavior therapy approach focus on the out of control of feelings and learning how to be more in control and feel more in control. Um, I hope none of you subscribe to this, but there's a magazine called Self. <laughs> Isn't that uh, telling of our culture? And. Um, I found this on the Internet. I don't subscribe myself, just in case you're worried about that. You shouldn't be worried about it, by the way. Um, listen, listen to this. Self Magazine article on worry, November 2005. Here's the goal. You can learn to feel more in control on your day-to-day. That's the world's answer. You're not in control, and that's why you worry. So what's the solution? We're gonna, we're gonna help you pretend, find sophisticated ways to pretend so that you feel more in control. Yeah! That's gonna help. But you know what? Prayer does just the opposite, because the heart of prayer is admitting that we are not in control. God is. Perhaps that's why I So many pray so infrequently. Prayer, by its very nature, shoots an arrow through the heart of worry. It deflates the balloon of pride that says, I want to be in control, I need to be in control, and frankly, I can be in control. Prayer, if you think about it, is a totally humiliating activity. And that's the point. But the text goes further. It says specifically, present your request to God. Requests, the the word implies getting very specific. So so you don't say, Lord, I'm worried today. Will you help me? You say, Lord, um, I saw this past week one of my adult children at Christmas that still does not walk with Jesus. They're living foolishly. They're living worldly, and my heart breaks for my child. And if I'm honest with you, Lord, the reason I've not been sleeping so well is because I lay awake at night worrying about what's going to happen to him, or what's going to happen to her, what's going to happen to my grandchildren. That's what it means to present your request to God. You don't you don't change in the abstract. You change in the specific. And when we get specific with God and we pour out our hearts, I've found that when we're specific with God in our confession, in our pouring out our hearts, the wisdom he gives us from his word in how to deal with it is also specific. And I think we can all agree that we don't need Hallmark card style encouragement and help. You know, wishful platitudes and and, oh, I know it will turn out well and it will be great. We we need gospel-saturated biblical truth that actually will bring peace in our situation. We're specific with God. We say, God, I'm scared to death about what that person thinks of me, about my outfit, my weight, my looks, what I say. I need that person to approve of me. I fear her disapproval. And we present those requests to God. We petition God. The the text says here, we're asking God for something. That's what petition means. We're asking God to do something in the situation. We're asking him to work in a situation that's worrying us, to help us to think on things that are true, not on things that aren't true, to help us to repent of our fears and need for control, to help us to believe and trust him, to help us to leave the issues with him and rest in his sovereign good control of all things. Um, We're going to get to this um, in the next couple of weeks when we get to verse 8, but um, worry dwells on the improbable, the unlikely, and things that we don't know to be true yet. That, that's why verse eight is going to say, "Think on things that are true," because what what fuels worry, what feeds worry, is we're all caught up in all the might be's or could be's. And instead, we need to petition God and ask Him. And and, and th- this is amazing. What God says is, I want you to come to me when you're worried. Okay, repent of your worry. Tell me what's on your heart. Be specific. And God says, you ready? Tell me what you want me to do about it. Now, that's not a promise that God's going to do it exactly the way you would. You know, it's it's like if if I let my kids, you know, decide everything in the home. You know, we would have frosted flakes three meals a day, right? (laughs) So so, so sometimes God, being that wise parent, doesn't give us everything exactly the same way we ask him for. But, But mark this. He says, I want you to tell me what you want. And Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, insofar as those requests are in line with God's will, he will answer our prayer. He will do what we say. Now, that's a way better option than just worrying yourself sick, isn't it? And then here's the last thing that he mentions here with thanksgiving the, the word with is is exegetically significant it, it's very significant in in the text itself um, the word with indicates the manner with which we present our request to God. It shows us what's our attitude as we come to God presenting our requests. See, thankfulness is what should characterize our prayer as we turn from worry. You think about it, worry zaps our thankfulness. You ever notice that? When you worry, you forget all the 3,728 good things you have in your life. And so Paul says, oh, by the way, when you bring your request to God, do it with thankfulness. This verse tells us that purposely praying to God with thankfulness is what kills worry. Purposely being thankful to God as you bring your request to Him kills worry. Because here's one way to pray. You pray, Lord, I want you to do this right now. You know, but that's not thankful. When we come to him with these things on our heart, we come to him submitting ourselves, saying, Lord, I'm thankful that you're in control. I'm thankful that you run the universe. I'm thankful that I know you to be good and right and true. And I know your ways, that you would never want to harm your children, that you're out for our good, to make us like Jesus. And you know, you're know, you thanking him for all these things. And it's in that context that you say, here's what's breaking my heart right now. Here's what I can't stop thinking about. And And the presenting your requests wrapped in the package of thankfulness will kill your worry at that moment. Try it sometime. I don't think you can worry and be thankful at the same time. Actually, don't try it because I don't want you to sin. But the next time you find that you're worried, see if that's true. Yes. So I bought a journal mm-hmm. and I purposed to thank God for one thing that I had prayed about that day. Oh, very good. It's a good idea. And I ran out of pages in my journal long before I really prayed. <laughs> Did you hear what she said? She said there was a particular time in her life when, when really something happened, and she just knew very much that she was not in control, and she was trying to apply this verse. And so she got a journal and started writing out one thing each day that she was thankful for. Uh, in order to apply this first. That's a really... Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Grace is abounding, right? About abounding. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that. You know, and I think what Becky is illustrating is that um, it's much easier to memorize this verse than it is to live in light of it. And we should memorize it, but using a journal and, and being particular to apply what this is saying in the midst of a hardship usually requires that level of specificity and attention. So what a, what a great uh, testimony. Thanks for sharing, uh, Becky. Um, so what does all this have to do? Well, he started off the section saying what? Rejoice in the Lord always. How did he get there? you got to identify what's, what's the source of your worry and anxiety. You stop doing it, you repent, you confess it for what it is. You turn to God in prayer. You pray about everything. You present your requests to God. You make supplication, petition, and you do it with thanksgiving. And and, and an amazing thing happens. And one of the things that happens in the midst of that is that as you are thankful, what, what, what Becky illustrated, when you are forcing yourself to think about things that you can be thankful for, one of the byproducts of that is joy. Well, there's another byproduct of this process. It's it's what we all crave in the midst of worry and anxiety. It's in the next verse, and we will look at that next week. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this is, um, if we're being honest, and uh, just as a family today, we know that uh, this is one of those garden variety sins that we all struggle with at one level or another. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, even though many of us have memorized these verses, uh, we, we know we shouldn't worry and we know we should pray that um, that hearing it presented in the context with which the Apostle Paul wrote it, and uh, just reminding ourselves of things we already know in, in many cases, that at this season where it seems like there is a Extra temptation to worry and be anxious about all sorts of things. Father, thank you that you're there. Thank you that you do all things well. Thank you that you care for your people. Thank you that you're mindful of our needs. Thankful, uh, thank you that you are sovereign in our circumstances, that you are already orchestrating all things for your good, or for our good and for your glory. And Father, I pray that as we struggle with that anxiety and worry, we, we would uh, take seriously and heed uh, this text. That we would submit ourselves to you, confessing our sin of control and fear, and uh, submitting to your wise, fatherly counsel in all things. Uh, Lord, thank you that we know you to be a good and gracious and kind Father, and uh, you're you're the 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 type of person that we can submit to because we know you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.